0: This is Dialogue with Drake and Debu. My name is Emma Drake and I am Sweta Debu.
1: This is the podcast where we talk about all things politics, policy, and pop culture. Our topic for the day is safer consumption sites. These are medically supervised facilities designed to provide a hygienic environment in which drug users are able to consume illicit drugs intravenously or through other means. In addition, drug users are able to be referred to different cessation services and community supports to ensure that they are not only using safely, but also provided with resources to stop using, should they choose to. In jurisdictions with safe injection sites, the number of deaths from overdose, as well as transmission of blood-borne diseases, have decreased.
0: One really interesting jurisdictional example of this is Vancouver's Insight, a supervised consumption site, where there have been 3.6 million visits to utilize illicit drugs under supervision by nurses since 2003. Of these, there have been 48,798 clinical treatment visits and 6,440 overdose interventions without any deaths. Now, taking things back to PEI, in December of 2020, the city of Charlottetown sealed off a culvert that was then being used as a location to consume drugs, as well as a shelter space. Now, they stated that they closed this off due to the potential risk exposed to the public. What the sealing off of this culvert did not address, however, is the lack of support and resources for those using drugs on PEI. There has been multi-partisan support for the introduction of safer consumption sites on PEI, with decision makers and advocates alike recognizing the gap that exists in harm reduction services. Looking
1: at things from a community perspective now, Peers Alliance is a non-for-profit organization on PEI that works to address the underlying issues affecting health and welfare of communities by countering stigma and creating environments where all are welcome. They also support and promote harm reduction strategies to people who use drugs
0: so that they can work to reduce their risk of negative health outcomes. One really neat project that PEERS is working on and that we're going to learn about today is the Overdose Prevention Hotline. Now, this is a service where folks who are using can call into the hotline and chat with a peer and to ensure that if they overdose, emergency services can then be dispatched as quickly as possible to them. In addition, PEERS Alliance has been one of the most vocal and effective advocates for safer consumption sites on PEI, including a presentation to the committee on health and social development.
1: For the first time on Dialogue, we have not one, but two special guests. With us today are two employees of Peers Alliance and our new friends, Angèle Desroches, Program Outreach Coordinator, and Arthur Sheeran, Overdose Prevention Line Project Coordinator.
0: All right, thank you so much, Arthur and Angèle, for being with us today. First question, how are you both doing?
2: Well, first of all, thanks so much for the invitation. It's lovely to be here. Um, and I'm doing fantastic today. How about you, Arthur?
3: Yeah, th- thanks for having us. And I'm doing pretty good. It's a pretty mild day outside, so nothing really to complain about.
0: Mm, awesome. Pretty done.
1: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day for being with us. And you know, the first question right out of the gate is, what is a safe injection site, and how do they operate?
2: Yeah, so a safe injection site would be like a subset of a safer consumption service um, and that would be uh, any site where community members can go to consume pre-obtain psychoactive subta- substances Sorry, under the supervision or observation of uh, trained staff.
1: Awesome. Just for our listeners right now, would you be able to give us a few examples of other jurisdictions that operate safe injection sites?
2: Yeah. So, um, there are different services that have popped up uh, or not popped up. There's a long history of safer consumption services being offered in Canada. Um, so like I said, safe injection sites would be safe consumption sites where the only method of consumption, uh, sanctioned is injection. Um, so that's, you know, we we've seen, um, since the, since the foundation of insight, Uh, which was Canada's first legally sanctioned safe injection uh, facility in 2003. Um, The trend has been towards uh, more safer consumption services than safer injections, so spaces where community members can consume illicit psychoactive substances through various means, whether that be um, you know snorting, uh, oral ingestion and and injection or or smoking in some cases. currently there's two pathways for um, legally sanctioned safer consumption services one of those would be a safer consumption site um, which is more of a long-term consumption service that um, requires the exemption from the controlled drugs and substances act through the federal government on an annual basis and the other is uh, an overdose um, prevention site um, which is conceptualized as more of a short-term service uh, and those exemptions from the controlled drugs and substances act uh, are administered on a six-month basis so both of those models are being employed across canada there i think um i think health canada reports over 35 safer consumption sites so those more fixed Uh, stable long-term services uh, across Canada. And I know overdose prevention sites are essentially everywhere at this point. I think we must be approaching, you know, 100 or more. Um, Atlantic region tends to be more behind in these sorts of things, um, unfortunately. Uh, But we are seeing, um, for example, Refix and Halifax is probably the closest, Um, but I know Moncton uh, is actively pursuing an overdose prevention site as well. And I think I would be remiss not to mention the fact that uh, safer consumption is something that's been that that folks who consume substances have been doing for each other forever, mm. uh, and it's it's really been uh, on the backs of people who use substances uh, offering these types of observed consumption so- services out of their own, you know, homes in some cases, um, that have allowed uh, more formalized mechanisms to come into play. Um, so I think that's always important to point out because it's always folks who consume substances on the front line of these issues, often uh, doing their best to keep each other safe and alive in the face of, you know, government sanction, the war on drugs, uh, mm. HIV crisis, overdose crisis. Um, yeah, that was extremely
0: comprehensive. and and. Uh... I'm, I'm very appreciative to Angel for your breakdown of the difference um, between safe injection sites, safer consumption sites, and then of course the overdose prevention sites. So um, that's something, you know, I, I, I definitely, um, I will honestly say I, I did not know the, the difference in, and I'm very appreciative of that breakdown and I, I hope listeners are, are too. So that's awesome. And, and as we know right now um, in Atlantic Canada, sorry, the Maritimes rather, Um, Refix in Halifax was one of the first sites to develop in Atlantic Canada and the Maritimes, which was awesome to see. And this was very recently, um, and as we know, and, and kind of the reason why we're, we're talking here today is that PEI does not have the safer consumption sites. Um, so with this, what is the current policy and practice on PEI when it comes to um, drug use on PEI? And then what are the ramifications that manifest? Um, you know, How does this impact people who use as well as the general public. I know you talked a little bit about this and saying that um, communities support one another, but maybe if you wanna talk a little bit further on that.
2: Yeah, and I think when I look at policy, right, um, it's really the Controlled Drugs and Substance Act at the federal level that creates the context from which these services are offered. Um, And so, um, you know, PEI has a mental health and addiction strategy. And I would say that the focus of that strategy is, increasing access to uh, treatment oriented services for folks who are ready to take that step. Um, Harm reduction comes in and and asks what about everybody else who's not ready to take that step uh, and or uh, doesn't actually uh, have a substance use disorder but still consumes illicit substances and therefore you know is still at risk for some of the the negative health consequences that we were looking to address.
0: That's awesome. Okay, thank you for that. Now, switching gears a little bit, um, and I know you folks have, have heard this a number of different times, um, you know, whether that be in um, public opinion or whether that be in discussing with, um, you know, folks at decision making capacities, oftentimes, there's a big misconception around safer consumption sites, Um, you know, people, maybe perhaps if they're not outright saying this, they might have, um, you know, an unconscious bias that this might encourage drug use, or that increases drug use, or that um, this might increase access to minors, or um, some people think that, um, you know, in neighborhoods that this might create a more unsafe environment. Um, However, as we know, and, and through you folks' advocacy, these aren't true. These are, you know, assumptions and biases. Um, How do you address these concerns?
3: Well, I guess, I guess if like, if people want to use drugs, they're going to use drugs anyway. Like the the whole purpose of this is just having like a safe space for people to be able to use. And I know like where I I used to work at in uh, Edmonton, I worked at a safe consumption site there and they thought the same thing and thought there would be more needle debris and more crime in the area. And that was not the case at all. It was actually gone down quite a bit. Needle debris went down. Um, I guess it's just kind of like Angela mentioned before, like PEI is still pretty far behind when it comes to harm reduction and stuff like that. So I guess more of it's just not really not knowing about, that's why people might form an opinion or might be unsafe, it's just not knowing that there's safer ways for people to use and that won't negatively impact any community. I feel like it would definitely help the community. Um, And in turn, like having an overdose prevention site or a safer consumption site it's kind of like an umbrella service, right? Because people will go there, they'll build relationships with people that work there and maybe access other needs or services that they might not have wanted to ask or access about before. So like, such as like um, dealing with like homelessness or certain mental health supports.
2: Mm. And
3: it just, it's kind of like, get your foot in the door to have conversations and dialogue with people that use drugs and that are experiencing those things. So it's, it's more than just having a place for people to use drugs. And I know that's how people view it. And it's so much more than
2: that. Mm. And I think, you know, it's important important that um, decisions around uh, the availability and accessibility of health services are not driven by, by um, public misconceptions and kind of uh, the common narrative around substance use and substance use disorder, which is very based in fear. And again, influence of the criminalization of substances and that decision makers actually look at the evidence behind these services. And again, uh, Insight's been in operation since 2003 Uh, It was conceptualized as a research project. It has been intensely studied since that time and a lot of um, subsequent research has happened around safer consumption services since that time. Uh, And the research addresses all of those concerns quite well. um, And there's no evidence to support notions such as uh, you know these services increase drug use in communities again these are services that are targeted towards folks who are already consuming there's no evidence that uh, these services increase crime in community public uh, impact assessments conducted with insight show the exact opposite that they had a uh, that the the location of the the program actually had a positive impact on community. So looking at the evidence is you know that's that's what we want to be driving these decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, and what you folks are saying is absolutely music to our ears. I know I'm speaking <laughs> on both on behalf of Emma and I when I say that we love a good evidence-based approach that is supported by fact, that is supported by the science, that is supported by the evidence. So you know, hearing you say that is always uh, really, is really cool. And especially in the context of something as important as safer consumption sites. So thank you for that.
2: You know, if we look, you know, t- to Alberta, for example, we see what happens when politics uh, starts to influence how uh, health services are conceptualized, rolled out and delivered. And, um, it's not a good scene. So I hope, um, you know, decision makers look at that and and realize that's that's not uh, a way to approach an issue. And, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of folks are dying um, why Alberta does what they need to do to align their policies and practices.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Looking a little bit closer to home now, um, in December of 2020, a culvert that was commonly used for drug use, but also where a number of homeless people um, had been taking up residence, was closed by the Charlottetown police on Water Street. In a statement to CBC, Angèle, you stated that the fact that people were using the tunnel as a shelter and as a place to consume drugs highlights that members of our island community are leaving with complex mental health issues and substance use disorders, and these folks are really struggling to get their needs met. City Councilor Greg Rivers and former Minister of Health James Aylward both stated that they were interested in researching the policy option um, in the form of safe injection sites. Do you find that the closing of the culvert up? Uh, pivoted policy approaches to safe injection sites by decision makers such as the city of Charlottetown, Department of Health, as well as other stakeholders such as Charlottetown police? Um, if so, how? If not, why do you think that is?
2: Yeah, so I think um, the 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 closing of the culvert or the bulldozing of that area Um did stimulate a lot of public interest and and conversation, and that included dialogue with decision makers and stakeholders, which is, you know, absolutely fantastic. And we recognize that that's part of the process. Um, but there is the adage in community that, you know, you talk, we die, uh, and actions do speak louder than words. And at present date, we currently still do not have a safe consumption facility. Um, so I guess we can draw conclusions from that. Um, obviously, we are, you know, very much engaged and willing to speak to any decision maker who wants to talk about uh, these types of services uh, in more depth. Um, but we are of the mind that actions do speak louder than words.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of, you know, actions speaking louder than words and you know just going through the process and talking about it before implementing any, you know, tangible steps. Um, on Wednesday, January 27th, Peers, and Al- Peers Alliance actually presented to the Legislative Committee on Health and Social Development on the need for safe injection sites on PEI. How would you describe was the reception of the committee to this presentation and were there any barriers to safe injection sites that you predict might come into play as to, um, you know, what they do going forward with this presentation?
2: Yeah, so I think the, the legislative committee was uh, super welcoming and very engaged. There was a lot of uh, good questions and great discussions and and certainly any time an opportunity like that presented itself for more than more than willing to jump to jump on it. Um, as a small community based organization, we haven't gotten into the weeds of uh, kind of the infrastructure required to deliver some that service locally. Um, recognizing our own own capacity Um, so things like uh, space insurance the resources to train and properly equip staff that you would have in those spaces for example uh, would be barriers uh, that have prevented peers Alliance from just going and, you know, trying to set up an, an overdose prevention site,
0: mm-hmm. uh, we
2: really recognize the value of of bringing, um, you know, the health authority and, and other stakeholders to the table to make sure a service like that is is rolled out in a really uh, ethical and accessible way. Um, and it's not something that peers Alliance can can do alone.
0: Mm, yeah. And, and that's the I think both Opportunity and challenge as a as a small community based organization, you're always at the root and reflect the on the ground challenges that people face and, and you're able to reflect that in a genuine way but um, being a nonprofit organization sometimes that presents a big capacity challenge and you know not being able to get up and you know find space during a housing crisis and you know open up shop and train people and this sort of thing and amidst the global pandemic you know it's it's definitely hard on a good day uh but but now it's definitely more challenging and um i know sweta and i feel the same way having presented to committee before it's always really exciting because as you know, as nonprofit organizations and with the challenges with that, it's always awesome to be able to um, really educate people, too, and, and particularly those in decision-making capacities, kind of back to what we had been talking about earlier with, um, you know, oftentimes people don't maybe have the right information or maybe haven't been presented um, the most up-to-date data and, and things like this. And- that's always a good opportunity to not only do that, but have it on the record and, and have that for historical uh,
2: purposes moving forward, too. I think like um, one of the big distinctions that we wanted to make in that presentation uh, was between the the um, safer consumption sites and the overdose prevention sites and the fact that um, federal government has preissued those exemptions to provincial and territorial governments to uh, give more um, independence in terms of um where those services are needed locally and where they should be uh initiated um so i'm not sure if you know everyone was aware that that barrier is actually removed um Mm. and and our our health system could be responding in in a more meaningful way
0: Mm. yeah and and i hope to Um, Obviously, I don't speak on behalf of any MLA, but um, I hope, too, for for their case that was similar to what we're kind of experiencing right now, an eye-opening opportunity to say, oh, hey, I didn't know the difference, I just thought it was, you know, Safe injection sites, but there's actually you know safer consumption sites and then the overdose prevention sites. So um, that's awesome.
2: The limits around peers alliance in terms of funding streams as well, right? So we're primarily funded through federal funding streams, which cannot be mobilized for frontline services because that is considered a provincial responsibility, right? And so mm-hmm. um, we're a little bit constrained that way as as well. Uh, So wanted to, you know, uh, this is a service that we we know has been needed. We've actually been hearing from community members that this is a service that's been needed since 2017. So it's certainly been uh, on our radar um, and recognize it as an important uh, thing to push forward. But it does feel like there's more appetite, um, you know, from other stakeholders and decision makers now, which is, you know, encouraging. Mm.
0: And, and moving forward, kind of knowing that there is that appetite both from, I think, you know, the community that you folks serve, as well as, you know, we, we've seen recently folks at city council have stated that they're interested in it. Um, you know, city police have stated that they're interested in it. Um, the former uh, minister of health has stated that they're interested in it. And then as well, just kind of, you know, people who are just simply interested in it because like oh hey this is a really neat policy idea um there seems to in the last number of months really built a lot of momentum um and, and with that um where do you folks envision this going next like um there's so many great examples like you talked about refix which is in halifax um that's That's one type of model where a number of different organizations all work together to operate that similar to the outreach center here in Charlottetown, um, the day shelter, as we had talked about last week. But then there's also insight that's been around for a very long time um, in East Hastings in Vancouver. That's run by Vancouver uh, Coastal Health again, and that's a provincially funded service. So there's a lot of different structures. But uh, where do you folks hope to, to see this moving forward?
3: Well, moving forward, I would like—I would like to see Prince Edward Island have one um, in the near future. Whether not sure how long that's going to take, but hopefully within the next year there would be one here, because it definitely is a—it is an issue on Prince Edward Island that people don't have a, a safe spot um, for them to be able to use. As Angel stated earlier, a lot of people do run them out of their homes, and it's not necessarily sanctioned or governed. But it's like, hey, like you want to use? Okay, well, I know you'll be safe here, so like you can come and it's happening, it's happening anyway, right? So we may as well have a place where people can actually do it and be safe from being charged with uh, drug possession, um, for simple possession, just for um, substances that they're they're consuming. And uh, yeah, hopefully within the next year, I would like to see that happen, whether or not, I guess it just depends on the government too. And like we'd stated, like Prince Edward Island's pretty well, most of the Maritimes are pretty far behind and compared to the rest of Canada but we're getting there and it, like you said it, has, it is gaining momentum and it seems like things are moving along pretty well and with discussions and whatnot so.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and I think when we look at provincial landscapes right and the the issues that uh, Pierce has identified as immediate barriers to kind of launching tomorrow, um, things like adequate space. We know that this service would be best located downtown. We don't have access to space downtown, and I'm not aware of another community partner who, who would have suitable space downtown. Um, insurance um that's another huge kind of issue for a small community-based organization um again looking at these services being offered in the context of um criminalization uh everything is very much uh risk management and liability although i suppose that's insurance for any topic Mm -hmm. Um, but perhaps (laughs) heightened uh in the on the east coast because uh it, it it still has a newish flavor even though it shouldn't. Uh, and then again, those resources to adequately tra- train the folks who you uh, plan to have staffing that service. And so we, um, you know, Direction 180 and the community partners that came to the table for refix have been in the harm reduction game, I would say, uh, in, um, you y- have had, I guess, more time to grow that, that arm and that branch, right? So it, it they do, um, they did have a stronger foundation to start from where I think when I look at the situation and in, in Prince Edward Island, we really do need the the health authority uh, to come to the table as a, like a true partner in, mm-hmm. in how this service would be um, constructed and offered. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the health authority is best suited to deliver the service. I think um you know there's lots of again going back to evidence informed decision making a lot of research that would suggest that uh, folks with lived experience are really the f- people who you want uh, staffing those types of services and you do want a bit of an arm's length approach from government so that you know a population who is often uh, overly surveilled doesn't feel like this is just another place of surveillance but you are able to create um community around the service that you're providing
1: absolutely and actually that was going to be my next question about (laughs) what you envision for the safe injection site. You know, what services do you think are absolutely necessary to provide? So you answered it before I could ask, which is awesome.
2: But I think there's still more we could be doing out of a space uh, like that. Um, For example, um, increasing access to safer use supplies, um, drug checking services, referral services, services. once you have the space um, and you, you know, it's, it's being utilized it really is an opportunity to engage with a population that isn't being well-served by current systems.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you make a really good point there too, where oftentimes people look at these, um, you know, at, at, at these locations as being places where people just go to use drugs, whereas oftentimes that's where they get the help to stop using or to manage it better or, you know, to integrate better into the community. So that's a really good point you bring forward. But before we have safe injection sites on PEI, right now, Peers Alliance is providing an overdose prevention line where individuals who are using drugs can stay on the phone with someone for a certain amount of time until it's determined they're safe and unlikely to overdose. I see Angèle smiling, I'm guessing it's because Arthur runs that program out of Peers Alliance. So if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what has the uptake been on that and how do you feel this service compares to having an actual physical location for people to use?
3: Well, we're we're not actually uh, open yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're trying to start one. Um, We're waiting on insurance again as um said insurance around this stuff we're just trying to find somebody that wants to take us on um a lot of other stuff is a go we've been in talks with uh, uh, another provincial overdose prevention line um kind of got the rundown from them and some of their numbers and how it's impacted uh people use drugs in their community and uh actually a national line was just launched as well um so right now we're pretty much ready to go Uh, i have lots of volunteers we just have to lots of volunteers that are willing to want to jump on the project with us um again just waiting for insurance and then once we get the go ahead from that we'll start the training and we're hoping to be open for the first of march so
0: um
3: yeah mostly just waiting on insurance right now
2: <laughs> Absolutely. which is a which is a frustration right yeah. because we see really um as we hit quebec and move west um that there is sort of an enabling environment for harm reduction services to be offered and uh the east coast is behind and i think um you know we're we're it gov- arms length approach in terms of government involvement is the way to go um but it does create again this conversation of risk and liability and criminalization and um all these all these big topics so you know hopefully insurance won't be the hill that we do- in, I am hopeful that we'll we'll, we'll find a, you know, a, a suitable partner to roll out this service because, you know, Norris is great, the National Overdose Response Service, um, but we do think that having a local local line that's peer delivered by folks who are living and from Prince Edward Island who really know the local landscape and uh, what's happening on the ground um, will help encourage folks to access the national service, for example, on evenings or times when, when our local line is isn't, isn't functioning.
0: And just as a follow up question to that, and and I know this wasn't something we had prepared beforehand, but um, just kind of in general, like what have been the the impacts that you folks have seen across the country with different programs, like. Th- this Um, I I mean it sounds awesome it's very similar to other types of of services we we know of that exist for example like kids help phone and um, different items like this that can can help in a crisis situation to uh, support folks and talking through and having someone there like um, I've listened to a number of different interviews and it's it's quite moving just really the role that these types of services play Um, do you folks want to speak a little bit further to that
2: Well, I think, you know, when we look at the overdose prevention hotline, um, the capacity to have rural reach is extremely important in Prince Edward Island, right? There is a population of people who are using alone and in secret in locked bathrooms, um, and that's just a recipe for disaster. So this service would at least provide them with, you know, a lifeline, not to be overly dramatic. but a safe, a safe line to call uh, while they're consuming to ensure that they're safe uh, mm-hmm. during consumption and, and following consumption. Um, whereas the safer consumption site or overdose prevention site, um, would be, you know, it's not, it's not the same service. Um, it is, you know, being able to access a physical space to have some place to go to engage with trained staff, uh, a place where maybe you're able to get some safer use education, a place where you're able to access safer use supplies. Like those aren't, they're not the same service and they're not probably going to meet the same demographic, but uh, in Prince Edward Island, although we are small, um, there are a lot of folks who are engaged in substance use, right? And they don't all live in Charlottetown. And so, yes, absolutely. There is a population in Charlottetown who is really, really struggling to get their needs net and and they need services, but there's also folks in rural communities who who need services. And now I'm gonna let Arthur say something because I'm talking too much.
3: (laughs) I envision that would happen anyway. No, it's okay. No, it's I talk safe. too much. No, she doesn't. She everything she says is on point and wonderful, so she can talk away. Um, but yeah, so like it, it's kind of it kind of be like a, a virtual overdose prevention site. So people would call in, um, say like, "Hey, my name's so and so." They can choose to give us the real name or an alias if they want. Um, uh, where they're at, uh, the location that they're at, um, and basically what substance they're using. So like, for instance, if somebody's using fentanyl or some sort of opiate, uh, they would. Uh, uh just the drug uh also we would ask for like root of administration too and uh, not everybody's going to be injecting some people might be snorting it or smoking it or taking it orally um and then like based on that uh they'll they'll say that they're doing their substance and then after like a, a period of time if we don't get a response from them then we know that it could be a possible like possible accidental overdose um so we would dispatch ems to that person and it, it kind of like like a lot of people too, like if, if they have naloxone on hand and they're like using alone, like chances are, if, if you're going to overdose, you're not going to be able to do it. By the time that you realize that you're going to overdose, you're not going to be able to give yourself naloxone. So it's it's kind of like a buddy system, I guess, in a way where people can, people can call in too. and, and I don't envision it just being like people that use drugs to call in either. It could be other health professionals, maybe um, asking questions about the service or other services. And it could be other, like, even people that do use drugs could be calling in and asking for other services too. Like, Whereas the nearest needle exchange program, or um, maybe like the food bank or soup kitchen stuff like that. So we're hoping that um, whenever we do the training, we're going to train the phone line operators and other uh, services too, such as like using two one one and how to access things like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's super neat in PI, as Angel said about rural communities and stuff too. And even for people that, even if we did have an op here, not everybody wants to know that people they're using drugs, right? It's still so so stigmatized. So even for people that our home, and maybe they are using a locked bathroom, or they're scared of their roommates or parents finding out, or you don't really know anybody's circumstances, right? So, I think it's, I think it'd be a great tool, um, and even just connecting with people too that have felt have felt that they don't necessarily deserve help, or think that they can access help because of everybody's told them before, like the stigmatization of even using drugs. So, so yeah, hopefully, it'll be open in March. <laughs>
1: Wow. That all sounds so awesome. And, you know, I feel like there's so much that I've learned today from this episode about, you know, the different options that are available to people, different barriers, because I think, you know, while we were preparing for this, we were thinking about, you know, Town safe injection site so much that, like many other people, we accidentally overlooked rural areas for whom this might not be very accessible. So it's awesome that you folks have this project on the go as well.
3: Yeah, it's a uh... Pretty great. And and hopefully uh, an OPS is here in the near future too, because that's also needed too, so.
2: Yeah, and it's been great to see the interesting community. There's definitely not been a shortage in terms of folks who are interested in, in becoming uh, line operators. And uh, you know, quite a few folks who said, Because it's, you know, it's one of those services that, you know, it hasn't been available in PEI before. We did try and do a bit of a community check-in around, like, what would appetite for the service be. And the reality is, is that a lot of community members are concerned about overdose risk, especially with increasing presence of fentanyl in Prince Edward Island. And so, although there's still some ambivalence, I feel like this this is something that... uh, that uh, would be utilized by community members and so it's just been encouraging to see um, interest in the community interest from the community in getting involved with this project
0: i know like we uh, i get so excited and because i'm learning more and and anyways this is such a neat project Um, and we don't want to keep you folks for too long but i feel as though this service really would work perfectly in conjunction with and overdose prevention site you know to, to cover both those bases like you folks said like you know have that in person have that community building have that connection for folks to be able to utilize you know and if it is in the charlottetown downtown center but also have that um you know the the calling piece where if folks are in rural areas you know and or they don't want to be physically in person, these sorts of things. um, It's accessible in all sorts of ways. So um, definitely hopeful that you folks get that insurance. And then right after that, moving forward with uh, increased efforts to ensure that we could get um, more services for for overdose prevention here on PEI. So very exciting.
2: It, it is really, really exciting. And I think, you know, one of the most exciting parts of harm reduction work for me is really the ability to create empowering opportunities for community members, right? There are so many folks who are feeling stuck because of a stupid possession charge that keeps them stuck in a stupid system of in and out of incarceration and jail, of not being able, barriers to employment. Uh, And, you know, part of the philosophy of harm reduction is is directing those resources and and opportunities back to community members. So knowing that uh, the launch of the OPL would provide opportunities for folks to, to join the program as line operators and that a safer consumption site would provide opportunities for folks with lived experience to really uh, gain some meaningful access to employment, which will then, you know, bolster a resume, which could lead to recommendation letters, right? Like it's all, it's all connected. Most folks who are struggling with substance use disorder, it's not, it's not so much the drugs as all the other shit. Whoops. Mm. I said shit.
0: It's all good. It's all good. We say shit all the time. Okay, good. So <laughs> Well, I, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm like hyped up right now in my own head about how exciting this is and and how much I've learned. It's so easy to get carried away and like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know and then the more you want to ask questions. Um, So anyways, just to summarize, I'm incredibly thankful to both you, Arthur and Nigel, for you folks going over this and and explaining and educating. I'm extremely appreciative. Sweat, I don't know if you feel the same way.
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, I think, you know when we were researching this um i had discovered a site called never use alone and you know it was very similar to the overdose prevention line and i remember thinking oh this really should come to pei until we can get the safe injection size this will be really useful and then i checked the peers alliance website it was like of course they're already working on this like this is of course if there's a cool uh service that they could provide to help people they'd be working on it already so yeah it's pretty awesome thanks
2: thanks so much for having us this is great yeah
0: well thank you so much we have one last question for you folks um as our, our listeners would know this is typically the point in the episode that we We do a beer panel. Now, that being said, I've prepared something a little bit more eclectic for today, uh, but I'll leave that for the end. Um, As always, we like to first provide our guests, our special guests, sorry, the opportunity to speak on the panel first. So whatever you'd like to share, I'm just, we're going to open it up. It could be beer, it could be a vinegar pie, it could be a restaurant, could be some music that you haven't listened to in a while that you want to. So I'll hand it over to you folks to share whatever you want to share.
3: Um, I haven't drank beer in a couple months, but when I was drinking beer, I think my favorite was definitely Snowbird. Oh, juicy IPA. Yeah, and uh, also one more third place, but they don't have it anymore. Commons,
0: that was Mm. also fun too. I love both of those. All all three of those. Sorry.
2: Yeah, I think I'm getting old, and so my guts don't deal. I love beer, but my guts don't deal with the heaviness of beer so fantastically anymore. So I do find myself really loving those lights. Uh, So like Corona with two limes—that's right up my alley. Mm. (laughs) Summer is on its way.
0: It's nothing more like refreshing than just like a little like (laughs) Corona with some limes. It's like oh, it's you know the dead of winter, but you know what? I want to imagine myself on a hot summer day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Take me to the beach.
1: Absolutely. I think my recommendation for the day was actually the third place as well. It's the beer you drink when you only want to have one beer yeah. and sip on it for like the entire night. So I think it has like this really rich flavor and it's really good. And yeah, definitely a one beer a night kind of beer. Mm. i'm excited to see what yours is though
0: okay no so i i definitely agree love the third place also love coronas um so the only reason why i said i wanted to do something unique um i got home this evening and my roommate had a can of san pellegrino um sparkling water on the counter now if you're wondering. Emma, that's not beer. That is correct. Um, So my brother showed me this trick when I had been visiting him in Montreal like three years ago during non-COVID world. And he did um, a kind of like a makeshift sangria where um, you use like whatever type of red wine you like. Uh, So for me, a Cabernet Sauvignon, do half that and then half like a pomegranate San Pellegrino, a little bit of ice. Anyways, it's so refreshing. So like speaking of summer, anyways, I really liked that. And it just, it made me think of it because I I would never drink San Pellegrino outside of that and i sat on my counter today and i said you know what i'll, I'll share that something different Nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: that sounds refreshing <laughs>
1: yes. yeah well thank you so much for being with us today folks we really enjoyed chatting about everything including you know your beer recommendations and now i miss summer because i'm thinking of coronas but it's been awesome to have both of you on
0: thank you so much
3: yes thank you very much steve
2: thanks for having us awesome to be here really appreciate the invitation
0: well thank you folks so much and actually before we go for listeners if they want to follow along with your folks work where can
2: they find that so i'm not the social media person but i believe we're on all the socials yeah. okay perfect <laughs> also www.peers uh, um you'll find us there
3: facebook page um, instagram twitter
2: it's awesome and we're
1: doing a social media fundraising contest, right? Where every month if people donate they get entered to win
2: prizes.
3: they just did a draw today for january's Yep. Oh,
2: that's Ooh, awesome. which I believe is on our Facebook page. Um Britney's been doing those um with Rachel live, so uh, I don't know how that works. Can you go back and watch a live one?
0: Uh
3: I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure check you can check that back out. And watch them.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, I didn't know that. I I'll have to go check that out. Um follow on all the socials that's awesome We're absolutely follow- yeah well we said it a hundred <laughs> times but thank you so much
2: <laughs> take care folks okay See
0: take well. care bye ya.
2: Yeah.
1: for the hundredth time thank you again for joining us Angel and arthur we really enjoyed having you on the podcast and learning from you to continue to follow along with peers alliance and the awesome work that they do check them out on twitter at Peers PEI, on Instagram at Peers Alliance, and Facebook at Peers Alliance. We'd also like to give out a big shout out to the executive director of Peers Alliance and our good friend Brittany Jakubiak for helping set up this awesome discussion, and to our special guests again, Angèle Desroches and Arthur Sheeran for sharing their expertise. And that's all the time we have for you today, folks.
0: Our official music, as always, is Gas by the one and only Shane Pendergast. And very exciting, as always, he has some upcoming shows. You can find Shane at Mark's Lounge Friday, February 12th, from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. Now, typically, that's a first come, first serve, so you don't have to buy tickets beforehand. So make sure you show up early and secure a spot so you can see Shane at Mark's. And then as well, for his second wind album launch, At the Trailside Music Hall Sunday, March seventh from eight to ten p.m. Tickets are going fast on that, so be sure to check out trailside.ca or eventbrite to secure tickets for that show. Thank you so much for listening to Dialogue. Stay safe, stay warm. And this has been dialogue.